0: Thank you, Tracy. That was beautiful, beautiful. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Pretty easy to find if you can find the Psalms. Most of us can find the Psalms. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, we're going through a a study this summer, uh, going through the book. And it's a book that's often misunderstood and misapplied and uh, confusing and so forth. And I hope that... uh, it's becoming more and more clear what God is saying through this book of Ecclesiastes. Now, we're going to come to chapter 6 in just a moment. That's where we find ourselves today. Uh, before we read that, though, let's go back to chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to read those verses to remind us of the theme and the key to this, uh, to this book. I will remind you this is a book of poetry. It is uh, among the poetic books in the Old Testament. It's not a book of theology like the book of Romans or, you know, the other epistles. Uh, it, is a, um, it is a poetic book. So sometimes it says things, instead of in a direct way, it says it in an indirect way. Instead of telling you how to have peace, it tells you how you cannot have peace. <laughs> and uh, so um, it is a poetic book. And then in verse 1 there, it says, uh, verse 1, chapter 1, "...the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem." So the human author is Solomon, David's son. Uh, And and he was searching for meaning in life and could not find it. And it was his search that brought about this writing, humanly speaking. But also, of course, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit because it's the Word of God. This is God speaking to us. This is God saying to us, this is how you find contentment and peace This is the way you cannot find it, no matter how diligently you search. You can't find it over here. So, with that said, look at verse 2. We see the theme, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The word vanity means meaningless, empty. He says all is vanity, all of life, everything in life is empty and meaningless. I mean, it's a little depressing, isn't it, to, to hear it. Uh, but that's what he's saying. And, he, and we know from the following chapters, he's talking about everything in life. All the things we think are, are good and are good, like family and friends and, and uh, earning a living and so forth. He's going to say, all of that's vanity. It's all empty. It's all meaningless. But then he gives us the key in verse 3. By the way, the word vanity is used 38 times in these 12 chapters. Look at verse 3. We have the key. For what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? That little phrase, under the sun. Uh, Under the sun is used 27 times, that exact phrase. Three times uh, we have under heaven. And uh, so 30 times God uses this phrase. And uh, what it means is, life is empty and meaningless under the sun. Or that is... If we live an existence that's just under the sun without taking into consideration what is above the sun, what is above the sun, the creator, God himself, is above the sun. If we just live an earthly life down here and we leave God out of it, then life, all of life is meaningless. That's what he's saying to us. And that's what he continues to say through this book. All of life is meaningless Unless you have a relationship with the Creator who made you. Because He made you for Himself. And if we're not in a relationship and fellowship with Him, then there's an emptiness in us. So, there's the key. Under the sun. Uh, Even a believer, though, can live like he is only under the sun. And not take advantage of his relationship with the Lord and walk in fellowship. In communion with the Lord. So think of it like this. Under the sun is Solomon's poetic way of saying without God. All of this is true under the sun. All of this is true without God. Life is vain and empty and meaningless without God. And then look over in chapter 6. We we pick it up in chapter 6 in verse 1. Just start with that one verse. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. There's that phrase. And it is common among men. Father, bless now your word to our hearts. Show us again, I pray, the path that leads to purpose and meaning and peace and contentment and joy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Around the world today, according to Open Doors, 400 or two, 245 million Christians suffer what, what scholars call quote a high level of persecution like being arrested, sentenced, imprisoned beaten, tortured, raped 245 million a year that's in our day and age that's hard to believe isn't it but it takes place around the world I came across a set of letters recently that I want to share with you today from a book put out by the uh, Voice of the Martyrs. I don't like to read long passages from the pulpit, but these are letters that are very meaningful. Uh, Written apparently just before the fall of the Soviet Union, and it was Russia, in Russia. Two teenage girls, 19 years old, writing under that oppression of atheism. And uh, one of them's name is Maria. She's writing the first letter. She's writing to her parents, mom and dad. So apparently they're off at college or they're off at a boarding school or something like that. Maria writes, I greet you, dear mom and dad, I greet you in the love of Christ. I am doing well and feel very blessed. One of my schoolmates, uh, Variah, is an atheist. And she is a member of the Communist Youth Organization. I have been witnessing to her and I think I am finally starting to get through to her. Recently, she said to me, that is, the atheist said to the Christian girl, I cannot understand you at all. So many of the students insult you and hurt you and you love them anyway. I told her that God has taught us to love not only those who are kind to us, but especially those that are unkind, that they might see the Lord living in us. Variah has been one of those, that is the atheist girl, Variah has been one of those to join in the mocking and the insults, but that only makes me want to pray for her even more. Today she asked me if I could really love her too. We embraced and both began to weep. I think she is very close to receiving Christ as her Savior. Please pray for her. Letter number two. Again, Maria writing to her mom and dad, the Christian girl writing to her parents. In my last letter, I told you about an atheist girl, uh, Variah. Now I am so happy to tell you the exciting news. Variah has received Christ! Exclamation point. She is so different and is already witnessing openly to everyone. We went together to the assembly of the godless communism youth organization meeting. Although I warned her to be reserved, uh, it was useless. The warning was useless. After refusing to join, uh, to join in the singing of the communist hymn, Veriah went forward to address the whole assembly. She courageously told everyone about accepting Jesus Christ as her Savior. She begged everyone to give up their sinful life and come to Christ. And the whole place was silent. When she finished speaking, she sang with her incredible voice the old hymn. This is the name of the hymn, quote, I am not ashamed to proclaim the Christ who died and the power of his cross. Reminds us of the song the choir sang. And then she continues this letter to her parents. I could only watch helplessly as they took her away. Today is May 9th, and we haven't heard anything about her. End of the letter. Third letter. Dear Mom and Dad, yesterday, August the 2nd, so it's been at least three months, maybe more. We don't know when the incident took place before the first letter, so it's been at least three months. Yesterday I was able to speak to Veriah from prison. She was thin and pale. But her eyes were shining with the peace of God and an unearthly joy. An unearthly joy. She goes on to say she loves the Lord with all of her heart and chose this difficult path. Please pray for her. They have taken everything away from her except her clothes that she is wearing. We've sent collections to her, but they do not let her receive them. When I asked Veriah if she regretted what she did, she said, No, and if they set me free, I'll just do it again. Now, this girl's only 19 years old. She said, uh, Don't think that I suffer. I am glad that God loves me so much that he gave me the joy to endure for his name. And then she said, uh, writing again, the Christian girl writing to her parents, I thank God that we have the peace to understand this. If we are in Christ, no suffering or frustration should stop us. I can only pray that my faith would be so strong if I were in her place. Then she concludes her letter by saying, We now believe that Veriah has been sent to a labor camp in Siberia. I believe God will give her the strength she needs to endure. Fourth letter. Now, this letter is not from the Christian girl, Maria. This letter is from the girl in prison, Variah. And she's writing to her friend, Maria. She writes, Dear Maria, at last I am able to write to you. We arrive safely in the new camp, which is about 10 miles from a town. I can't describe life here, but I thank God that I am reasonably healthy and have the strength to work. I was put to work in a machine shop with another sister whose health is very bad. I have to do the work of both of us or we will both be beaten and punished. We work 12 to 13 hours per day and the food is scarce, but I do not want to complain. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? I want to tell you that I thank God he used you to lead me to Christ. For the first time in my life, I feel I have a real purpose. Now remember, she's in the Siberian labor camp. She said, for the first time I have real purpose, I know for whom I suffer. And I have a burning desire to tell everyone here about the great joy I have. The great joy of salvation, end of quote. Wow. Here's a 19-year-old who has found the real thing, real joy and real peace that comes from Christ and Christ alone. When you have a peace and a joy that comes from Christ's circumstances, though they may change greatly, your joy, your peace doesn't have to change. And that's the way this young lady is. She has avoided all the things that Solomon is warning us about, and she has found her joy and peace in Christ Himself. Well, we come back to chapter 6. It's a rather depressing chapter, actually, about things that happen under the sun. To give it a little bit of light, let me give you a quote here from Dr. Warren Wearsby, who was for many years the pastor at Moody Church in Chicago. He says, and I quote, What is Solomon saying to us in this chapter 6? He's saying, quote, Enjoy the blessings of God now and thank Him for all of them. And don't plan to live. Start living now. Don't just plan it, but start living now. Be satisfied with what He gives you and use it all for His glory. End of quote. Now let's look back at our text. He says there is an evil that he sees under the sun, that is, with mankind without Christ, without God. And then he gives us some theoretical scenarios. And look at verse 2. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth or lacketh nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. The word disease there can be translated affliction, which would fit better here. It's an affliction. This is a terrible thing. Here's a man that's got plenty of money. He's got, uh, he's got wealth and prestige and honor and everything, but he dies young. And uh, he can't enjoy all that he has. And instead it goes to a stranger. Now the word stranger there means somebody who's not in his family. So he didn't, just, he didn't leave his possessions to his family. He, le- he left them and they ended up in the hands of a stranger. Solomon said, man, that's meaningless. That is, that's pretty empty right there. Uh, that is vanity. When you, and that is an evil affliction. So that's the first case scenario. Second one in verse 2. If a man begot a hundred children. Now he's not saying that's possible. But he is saying, if this is theoretical. If a man had a hundred children. By the way, if you had a hundred children, how many grandchildren would you have? Whoa. I don't know, three, five hundred maybe. (laughs) Five hundred grandchildren maybe if you had a hundred children. He says, if a man had which is a hundred children, which is a good thing in the mind of the, the Jewish mind, uh, when this was written 3,000 years ago, uh, children were a big blessing from the Lord. So to have a hundred children would be wonderful and glorious. And uh, he said, what if you had a hundred children and lived many years, so that the days of his years be many and his soul be not filled with good? In other words, he's never satisfied, this man. He's got a hundred children. He's never satisfied. Uh, his, his life is, doesn't contain goodness. And, um, and then it says, And also, he hath no burial. He has no burial. He has no funeral. In other words, his family didn't love him enough to give him a funeral. And then it says, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. A miscarriage. That's the idea of an untimely birth. He's saying, and again, this is, he's saying this poetically. He's saying, it'd be better to have, to have died in a miscarriage and never been born than it is to, uh, to live like this and be so miserable. These, this long life is just a long life of misery and unhappiness. Picture for a moment... An older man who's in the bed, he's dying, he's, he's got a hundred kids gathered around him. He's got 300 grandkids gathered around him. Boy, that would, that would make the nurses down at the nursing station go crazy, wouldn't it? And, uh, but ma- imagine they're around him, but they don't really love him. They're not weeping because he's hurting or dying. They're there waiting to get his money. And as soon as he dies, they're going to be fighting and pulling on that money. He says, a man who lives like that would be better off if he had died before he was born. Now remember, this is people who live under the sun without God without the joy and peace that God gives. And then notice then in verse 4 he says uh, for he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness and his name shall be covered in darkness as it is if he died in the womb Uh, his name he wouldn't even had a name. Moreover he hath not seen the sun uh, nor know anything this hath more rest than the other. That is uh, this The person who died in the womb has more rest than this person who lived a long, miserable life without God. Verse 6 says, Yea, though he. Now we come to the third theoretical person. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, or we would say twice over. So let's say a man lived 2,000 years. Now he's not saying that's going to happen, he's speaking theoretically. If a man lived for two thousand years, yet he hath seen no good. You remember, when we put it in the context of good, we're talking about the goodness of God in the sense of finding contentment and joy in life and peace in life. If a man could not find that, then uh, then he's miserable. And he only the extension of life which is usually a blessing, live a long time. But the extension of life is not a blessing. You just live longer in your misery. That's vanity, he said. That's emptiness. And um, then he says, Do not all go to one place. Now, he's not talking about heaven or hell here. He's talking about the grave. Rich or poor... Happy or unhappy, we all die. Everybody goes to the one place, the grave. Verse 7 says, All the labor of a man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. We work to, to take care of our bodies, take care of ourselves and our loved ones, but we work and then never satisfied. Uh, that is, people who are under the sun, people who don't have the joy of the Lord and the peace of Christ, these people uh, labor and may accumulate great wealth, but still they're never really happy. They're never filled, satisfied, contentment. You know, that word, that, that, not the word, but the principle of contentment is found all through this book of Ecclesiastes. This man was not content. For what hath the wise more than the fool? And what hath the poor that knoweth to walk Before the living. In other words, a poor man who knows how to go about life in a good manner. Uh, But if you compare that to the verses above, whether you're poor or whether you're uh, rich, people are miserable. Whether you're young or old, people are miserable and they die and go to that one place, the grave. Now we come to verse 9, the word better. The word better is used in all of those little... uh, Summaries that are in this book You know, this, it, there's 12 chapters in this book there are, there are seven summaries or conclusions Just sparse through the book And they tell us the good things You know, most of this book is negative I mean, it's, it's depressing uh, How miserable it is to be without Christ And to live just under the sun and, uh, But occasionally we see that word better And when we do, we, there's something positive there So he says in verse 9, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity, or wandering of the desire is also vanity and vexation of spirit. You remember, vexation of spirit means frustration of soul. You know, some people, they're just frustrated all the time, aren't they? They're just frustrated with life and everything in life. Uh, that's the idea here, vexation of spirit or frustration of soul. The, the root words in the Hebrew in this phrase mean uh, grasping after the wind or trying to catch the wind. It's as frustrating as trying to catch the wind, he says. So what does it mean? One translation translated it very loosely and said it like this. A bird in hand is better than two in the bush. <laughs> We've all heard that saying, haven't we? What God is saying is, enjoy the one bird you have uh, instead of always worrying over and fretting over the two birds you don't have. They're in the bush. Uh, if you look back at your screen for a moment, the New Living Translation translates it very well. It, it, it translates the meaning instead of the, the words. Uh, uh-oh, that was it I had to say. There it is right there. Uh, it says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. <laughs> so here's a bit of instruction for us. Enjoy what you have. And in all of those seven conclusions, that thought, that principle is in there. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy life. Enjoy it right now instead of wishing you had more or something different and so that's verse 9 now look at verse 10 that which hath been is named already and it is known that it is man neither may he contend with him neither may he I'm sorry neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he the one he's contending with there being warned not to contend with is God himself and God has set some things in his sovereign will. And it is foolish for us to try to change that. Now, within his sovereign will, he gives us the gift of choosing. And some people choose wisely, and some people choose foolishly. But uh, you can't choose, in other words, you can't choose to be a bird. Uh, or you can't choose to be an elephant so you can step on your enemies or something like that. Uh, You can make choices within the parameters that God gives us in His sovereignty. And that's the idea. Don't contend with God about those sovereign things. Verse 11, seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? Uh, The the more you, you receive of empty things, just the more vanity it is. That is, under the sun now, for those who don't know the Lord. And so there is this profound emptiness and meaninglessness, and it doesn't make life any better. That's the question. At the end, the answer is no. Uh, what is man the better? He's no better by accumulating just more things that don't satisfy. That's the idea. Verse twelve: For, for who knoweth what is good for man in this life, all the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow? shadow speaks of the temporary nature of life. Uh, You know, a shadow can be right beside you, and uh, you can step out of the light into a dark place, and the shadow's gone. It's just gone in a second. That's the way life is. Life is like a vapor, the New Testament says. It appeareth for a moment, then it vanishes away. Life is short and fleeting. And so he says, uh, life is... Like a shadow, vain life. Boy, this, this is depressing, isn't it? Uh, but that's the way it is if you don't know the Lord. If you live as though there's nothing uh, above the sun. But there is above something above the sun. God himself, the creator, and the one who loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. And then he says, uh, for who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun, there's the phrase again. Remember, all of this is under the sun, and uh, what a man don't know what will be after him. In other words, you don't know what's going to happen to your kids or your family or your fortune if you have one, and so forth. A man just doesn't know. Well, I hate to end on such a negative note. Is that? Let me read to you a little quote from again, Doctor Warren Wiersbe. He says, "If you devote your life only to the pursuit of happiness, you will be miserable." However, If you devote your life to the doing of God's will, you will find happiness as well. End of quote. Now I want to go back to these letters from Maria and Variah in Russia, 19-year-old teenage girls. In this fourth letter that I was reading to you a moment ago, it's from Variah. The, the girl who's in prison. She's writing to Maria, the one who led her to the Lord, and she talks about the joy she has even in the prison camp, and she wants to share that joy with others. And then she writes further into the letter, there are many believers here. Remember now she's in, a, in Siberia in a, in a camp, uh, in a labor camp. There are many believers here. Last night we were able to sneak out to the river where seven brothers and I were baptized. Wow. They snuck out and risked their lives to go down to the river for a baptism. That's how important it was to them. And then, then she says, I will never forget this wonderful day, exclamation mark. She's saying, baptism is a, it, my baptism was a wonderful day, even though she is in prison camp. Then she says, please don't weep for me. My purpose here is clear, and my faith remains strong. Then the fifth letter, She again, this is Variah, the, the girl in prison writing to her friend. She says, at last I have found the opportunity to write to you again. I am happy to report the sister that was sick is some better. In my last letter, I told you about my baptism." But I never had the opportunity to ask you to forgive me for all the times I wronged you before I received Christ. It is only through your gracious attitude of forgiveness that I am a Christian today. Wow, think about that. Think how many lives we could touch if we had an attitude like Christ had or an attitude like Maria had of acceptance and forgiveness of people who have wronged us. Lariah said that's the reason she came to Christ. She says, please accept my apology for mocking you. She said, also I want to thank you for the packages you have been sending, but especially, most of all, for the Bible. Since the Lord revealed to me His deep mystery of His holy love. God has revealed to her this in her prison. She says... uh, I consider myself to be the happiest person in the world and that's an exact quote she has such joy from the Lord such peace that she believes she is the happiest person on earth in a Siberian prison camp you see she had the real thing when you have the real thing I'm talking about real joy and real peace coming from Christ himself, when you have the real thing, circumstances can't steal it away. Bad times can't steal it away. She says, I'm the happiest person in the world. I consider the suffering I have had to put up with a special grace. I am glad that God gave me this tremendous opportunity to suffer for him. Please pray for me that I may remain faithful unto the end. May the Lord keep you All and strengthen you for the battle. We all have a battle, even ones outside the prison camp. Then she says, Don't worry about me. We are glad and joyful. Your friend, Veriah. And then in the book, it gave this little footnote Veriah was never heard from again, but her love and witness for Christ were never forgotten. Her young life was likely snuffed out by the cruel authorities who imprisoned her for her faith. However, her legacy burns brightly in the hearts of those who know her story. Wow. She spoke of baptism as a wonderful, wonderful day. We've got nine people who are going to be baptized in, in just a few moments, ranging from the age of seven to 70. And uh, and it is a wonderful day. Let's don't think about baptism as oh yeah we had some baptized a few months ago and now again today and yada yada. No, this is a wonderful, exciting day for all of us for the ones who are being baptized, for family members, for the church family. This is an exciting time. It's a wonderful time. It's a wonderful day. So let's view it that way. Let's celebrate today this baptism. I'm going to introduce you to the ones who are being baptized. And uh, I'm gonna. in a moment, after I introduce them, I'll ask them to stand. And the people who are with them, when I say with them, I, it may be family members or maybe your friends who just came to see the baptism. Uh, so I'll give you a chance to stand in just a moment. The the first is is a family that's following the Lord in baptism, uh, and uh, the husband and wife is Chris and Joy uh, Bezerman, and there they are in that picture. And let me tell you a little bit about Chris. Chris was saved at home in 2015. His wife has been a Christian for all of her life. She was saved when she was five. And she's uh, been uh, a great example for Chris. And Chris was, went to church, had been going to church with her. But at this moment in 2015, he was reading the book of Romans on the computer in their bedroom. <laughs> now, they described to me that the computer was in the corner, and the person sitting at the computer was facing the corner. So, Chris was facing the corner. And uh, she said, in their bedroom, all of a sudden, he swiveled around in his chair and said, with great joy, Jesus is Lord. And it was at that time. When he trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Isn't that a beautiful story? Right there in their bedroom. Joy was saved when she was five years old. She was in the back seat of her parents' car uh, when she came to Christ. And then at the age of 10, she rededicated her life. And her mother prayed with her at that rededication. So you have uh, Chris and Joy... And then they have two children, Daniel and Emma. They're pictured there with their mother, Joy. And uh, Daniel uh, is 11 now. He, he was 7 when he got saved. And he was saved in the back seat of a red pickup truck. I see a pattern developing, don't you? And uh, this was after his mom had picked him up at school. They were driving home. They had stopped to get ice cream, and they were talking about spiritual things. And when, when uh, Daniel finished his ice cream, they were right out here on 150, and she pulled over, and he received Christ as his Savior in the back of the red pickup truck. And then we have the younger sister, who's seven now and was saved this year. Her name is Emma. And Emma was saved in the back of her mama's van. I'm not kidding you. I couldn't have made this up, could I? She got saved on the way home from school as well, in the back of mama's van. And uh, she had raised her hand at school concerning salvation, and the teacher had told Joy, the mother, about that. And so on the way home... They uh, were talking about it. And when they pulled in the driveway, Daniel got out to do some things. It left Joy and Emma alone together. And Emma called on Christ as her Lord and Savior right there. Isn't that glorious? (coughs) This whole family is going to be baptized together today. It's a beautiful thing. And then we have Daniel Motsinger. Look at Daniel's picture up there. Notice his note. I gave my heart to Jesus 61919. 61919. I love that picture, don't you? He knows the day. Excuse me, let me get a drink. Chris, um, I mean, Daniel <coughs> was raised by Christian parents. His parents are Edward and Lauren, and he has Christian grandparents. He was raised in church his whole life and just recently he started talking about salvation to his mom and his dad. And they talked about it and discussed it and they uh, brought Daniel to see Karen and I and and right up in my office, right up in there, uh, Daniel and I knelt beside each other. And Daniel called on Christ as his Lord and Savior. Isn't that beautiful? And then uh, the next one is Lily Hart. Lily is the daughter of Mark and Kelly Hart. And uh, Lily was saved at age four. And she is how old now? Right right now, how old is she? Eight. She's eight years old. And uh, uh, her dad and her brother was baptized right here at gospel. I baptized them. And that got her to thinking about it back when she was four, uh, about Spiritual things, and her mom was explaining to her about uh, what, uh, what all of that meant. And her mother led her to the Lord right there at their home. And then we have uh, a, a brother and sister, Jake Scott. And you see Jake there. Jake is 16. He was saved when he was 7. His parents are Jason and Heather. And... Uh, uh, he was saved when he was about 10 or 11 years old at home at the kitchen table talking to his parents about the things of the Lord and he received Christ right there. He's 16 now, was saved when he was 10. And then uh, Julia Scott is, is 12 years old and her parents, again, are Jason and Heather. And Julia came to her parents and said that she told them she wanted to be saved. Earlier that day, she had been talking to her grandmother about spiritual things and about the Lord Jesus and the gospel. And so she took her parents into her bedroom, and her older brother, Jake, who you just saw in the picture before this, all four of them sat on her bed together and talked about the Lord and salvation, and she called on Christ and received Christ right there sitting on her bed surrounded by her family. Julia Scott. And then we have Ronnie Aitcock. Ronnie Aitcock married to Patricia. By the way, I found out too, they've been married uh, 50 years. Last, last year they celebrated 50 years' uh, wedding anniversary, and that's a beautiful thing. The, uh, uh, Ronnie grew up in church. He made a profession of faith when he was young, but he met his wife his wife-to-be at that time, Patricia, and she was a believer, and they began going to church together, and during that time, he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. As many of us, Ron said, he didn't always live for the Lord like he should, and uh, recently he's been getting, drawing close to the Lord and wanting a closer walk uh, with the Lord. Ron and Pat actually have their primary home in California, and... Uh, uh, they have a home here as well. And they're, they're here in this area mm, uh, off and on during the year, a week at a time, two weeks at a time, and so forth. And so we're glad the Lord brought them here and uh, to our church and what a blessing uh, they've been. And I've enjoyed getting to talk with uh, Ronnie. And he said he wanted me to be the one to baptize him. So I was honored by that. And we're so glad. He's, he has some family here uh, as well. So I'm going to ask now, and... Uh, we we still we still have, oh wow I'm getting behind. Uh, I'm gonna do this quickly. Those those of you who are in the Bezerman family or you're here to see the Bezermans get uh, get baptized today, would you stand all over the building? You might not all be together, you might be spread out. The Bezermans. There there's the Bezermans right over there. God bless you. Amen. And then uh, Daniel Motsinger. Daniel, stand stand right there. Daniel and everybody that's with him, related to him, are here to see him be baptized. (laughs) Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And then, let's see, uh, Lily Hart. Lily, uh, wherever you are, stand with your parents and whoever's here to see you be baptized. Amen. Amen. And then we have uh, Jake and Julia. Uh, if you would stand along with your parents and anybody that may be here to see you be baptized. Oh, look at that big group. Yeah, amen. That's wonderful. Thank you. And then, uh, and then uh, Ronnie. If you're here with Ronnie, uh, would you stand? Ronnie and Patricia, y'all stand there in the family. Uh, amen. Amen. And uh, some of the family back here too, and some of the I guess most of this family is from California. Yeah, great. Amen. That's a we appreciate y'all driving so far to come to church this morning. (laughs) Ah, You may be seated. God bless you. Uh, What a joy it is. Baptism is a wonderful thing. Even to that young lady who was in a prison camp, we ought to celebrate uh, baptism. We ought to rejoice in it. And we ought to give God praise uh, in baptism. Bow with me, please. Father, thank you for these that have received you as Savior and now following you in baptism. We thank you for that. We pray you'd strengthen each one and hedge them about in your protective care and may their journey to, to serve you and live for you grow stronger and stronger, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me, please. And the ones who are to be baptized, you come on back at this time. Men over on this side and the ladies over on this side. Uh, You can just come on back now. Words are on the screen. We're going to sing together. And as we do, if you'd like to come for prayer, we give you a chance to come. Let's sing. Play softly for a moment, would you? Just play softly. Bow your heads with me for a moment. and While these are back there getting ready, maybe you'd say, Preacher, I want that kind of joy and peace and contentment in life that only the Lord can give. I want to learn to walk in that joy and that peace and that contentment. I want that for my life. I want you to pray for me that I'll learn and that I will grow and that I will find that kind of joy and peace and contentment. Pray for me. If that's your prayer, would you slip your hands up all over the building today? Yes. Hands are everywhere. God bless you. God bless you. You may put them down. Oh, Lord Jesus. You've seen our hands. You know how often we lose our joy and peace. Teach us Teach us to draw our peace from you, our joy from you, so that we can feel like we're the happiest people on earth, even when everything's falling apart around us. Teach us. Teach us to lay hold of that kind of strength from you, that kind of peace and contentment and joy, we pray. In Jesus' name.